Welcome to Once Upon a Disney, an analytical yet fun-loving look at Disney narrative filmography from the 20th century and beyond. I'm Andy Redwine, and with me is my co-host, an outlaw hero posing as a mild-mannered screenwriting professor, Larry Brenner. How are you, Larry? Uh, Andy, this week's movie brought up a lot of memories that I had been repressing. Okay. Uh, I remember going to see this movie with my parents in the theater. Are you serious? Okay. Uh, we, we got, no, no, we got all dressed up for it. Mom mom wore her pearls. Okay. Uh, we, we decided to take a shortcut around the back of the alley. Uh, and uh, an unfortunate event occurred. Oh, okay. um, I it, it changed the shape of my life. And that is the moment that I realized. I need to do a Disney podcast. Well, that that is my and, origin. Wow, and I I benefited from that, so I don't have an origin oh, story sure. like that at all about this podcast. Uh, well, but we'll we'll find that one of these movies <laughs> will unearth one for I'm you. Sure we will. Hey, we have guest stars today, don't we? We do have guest stars. We have Mike Staub and Jordan Hugh from the Batman Tastic cast. Uh, which is a podcast that explores one of the greatest, they would say the greatest, cartoon cartoon series of all time, Batman the Animated Series. Uh, Andy, this is easily my second favorite podcast that I listen to after us. Oh, wow. And uh, I, yeah, no, <laughs> wait, I, wait, it's, wait, it's really wait, great. I think it's the everything. news here is that you listen to us. <laughs> On repeat. Oh, okay. Endlessly. Okay, well, good. That's, that's good. My children complain <laughs> about it. Um, but anyway, <laughs> but, but the, the podcast is a deep dive into Batman, the animated series. They've been going through all of the episodes in production. All right. Part. Uh, and it's, it's everything I wanted from a Batman animated series. It is 95% them talking about Batman, uh, 3% them talking about Spider-Man, 2% assorted things and like less than 1% making fun of me specifically. It's pretty great. It's pretty great. They make fun of you. What? It does happen. It does. Well, ha- deservedly. Okay. So deservedly. I mean, so. Like I've never done that. Welcome Mike and Jordan. We're talk. so glad to have you. Welcome. Yeah. Thanks for having us. We're happy. Yes, we're we're happy to be here, and we only we only lovingly make fun. We only make fun of those we love. Yeah, so yeah, no, no, no. Oh, no, no. I, just yeah, it's appreciated. I love it every time. It's <laughs> great. So we'll we'll continue. Uh, oh, doing good, that. Yeah. Jordan. Uh, you know what? Let me update the notes for next week's episode to uh, make fun of Larry again. What's funny is yeah, we we write the outline before we do every episode, and I think we're just going to start putting in a section like mention Larry this episode question mark and just what we can mention. I can I can think of nothing that will bring down your ratings more than constant <laughs> references to me. Uh, hey man, you never know. Oh, okay. We might have to have an in depth Penelope pit stop conversation again. So well, I, I'm definitely I'm definitely the person for that. <laughs> All righty, so. Andy, what the what movie are we doing today? So today we're doing The Sign of Zorro, which was released by Buena Vista Pictures on June 11th, uh, 1960, which is five days after my husband was born, which is kind of fun. Uh, wow. Yeah, so I guess that was his his first inch uh, for his first Disney movie, maybe. Um, I this movie is a. Uh, kind of a splice together of a lot of different uh, episodes of the television show Zorro. So if it feels weird, that's why. But it's definitely got an episodic feel. And um, I really enjoyed it, actually. It's kind of the reverse of what they did with Davy Crockett a little bit. Yeah. Like, 
Um, but but one of the things that I felt was if you watch this today, you will definitely notice that this is a bunch of TV episodes strung together. Mm-hmm. But but it feels as if they if they had been willing or able to do just a minor bit of reshooting or a minor bit of editing, this might feel like a movie. I'm I'm not sure why they didn't go for it. Maybe the actors were unavailable. Maybe everyone had moved on. But it it is so close to feeling like a movie. Right. We're gonna have we're gonna treat it that way anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we got some key facts to get this party started. Uh, fans of this yeah. podcast obviously will remember Davy Crockett as this television phenomenon, right? Uh, Disney took those television episodes, as we said, pieced them together, released two movies in theaters. Davy Crockett, King of the Wild Frontier, Davy Crockett, the River River Pirates. And following that same template, Disney created another TV hit, Zorro, in 1958 and 1959. And and there are like 70, I think 78 episodes of that. Uh, Wow. Yeah, it's a a lot. lot. So it was a weekly, I mean, it was a weekly show. The sign of Zorro was, again, like I said, spliced together and released in the summer of 1960. This wildly, and it was wildly popular, uh, the series, but it was canceled because of a dispute with ABC. But I've recently heard a rumor that there are more Zorro episodes in the vault, which I'm kind of, oh man, they just never, got, never released. got released. I think there's like four of them. I heard that. Oh, okay. release the Zorro <laughs> cut. Where's the Zorro <laughs> cut? Need no, the extended edition. Yeah, right. So I'm, I'm, it was interesting. I, that was interesting to me. Uh, so Zorro, as we learn in the film, is Spanish for fox. And character Don Diego de la Vega's alter ego emerges in, you know, in literary uh, fiction in 1919. And the stories were created by American pulp writer Johnston McCulley. Many of McCulley's stories were actually turned into movies. Uh, Disney's is not the first Zorro film. In 1920, Douglas Fairbanks first played Zorro in a silent film called The Mark of Zorro, based on McCulley's serialized The Curse of Capistrano. The Fairbanks film leads McCulley to craft three additional uh, Zorro novellas. There's Argosy, The Further Adventures of Zorro, Zorro Rides Again and The Sign of Zorro, which is the title of the movie we just watched. Uh, the novellas, of course, lend themselves to dozens of Zorro movies and serials throughout the 1920s, 30s, and 40s. The most well-known outside of the Disney franchise is probably the 1940 version of The Mark of Zorro, starring Tyrone Power and Basil Rathbone. Joaquin Marietta Carrillo was probably the closest person we have to the historical Zorro, Carrillo was known as the Robin Hood of the West, but it's really difficult to tell fact from fiction, much like Davy Crockett. Uh, Several scholars have speculated Zorro has much more in common with two characters, two fictional characters from literature. The first being Sir Percy from the Scarlet Pimpernel, who you might remember as a wealthy aristocrat who rescues his fellow man before they head off to the guillotine. And the second... Springhill Jack was also a nobleman Ooh. with a masked alter ego. And of course, when I saw this movie, my first thought, um, and I saw this movie as a little kid the first time, my first thought was Superman and Batman, both of whom have mild-mannered lives but fight for truth and justice. And certainly no, you know, we're no stranger to a child headed to the movies in 1960. 
I didn't realize this till you said yes. it, Andy, but this movie is almost exactly Robin yes. Hood. Uh, I, I, I'm upset with myself that I didn't, even to the point where, like, the, the, the sheriff goes too far and robs the right. church. That's Robin Hood right. also. Right. So, uh, unfortunately oh, wow. for this film, I think it's shot in black and white. I think it would really benefit from color. Um, and, again, it's kind of weird because Davy Crockett was a TV series shot. It was a movie, I guess, sort of, but shot for Wonderful World of Disney, but it was shot in color. But I don't think they were really thought of, I don't think Disney really thought of Zorro as a movie. I think they thought of it as a TV series. So it's shot in black and white, just like other Western series of the time. There's, gosh, there's Sugarfoot, The Lone Ranger, uh, Life and Legend of Wyatt Earp, Have Gun Will Travel. All of those are in black and white, as well as all of the Saturday theater Western serials that go back as far as the 30s and 40s, right? But, uh, you know, despite this aesthetic, Midwestern critics were very pleased that the film properly punished the villain. And again, it's another wildly popular movie or series turned movie for Disney. So. I think if this if I had been around in 1958 watching this series, I would have loved it. Oh, yeah. Um, There is some. I like it now. Serialization. You know, I like it now, too. I mean, I wouldn't choose it today. I wouldn't, like, be like, hey, kids, gather around. Let's watch The Sign of Zorro. <laughs> but there, there is some serialization happening mm-hmm. in this where, where it actually feels – I mean, maybe that's the editing of the movie and maybe the TV series didn't feel that way. But it does feel like things are progressing as we get through these episodes, um, that, that there's an ongoing story that maybe has a definite end point. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just I'm just wondering, I think with Davy Crockett, Walt had in Walt, and when I say Walt, I mean Walt and Roy uh, amalgamated into Walt. Uh Roy. had it in his <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Roy. Roy, Roy Disney. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Better than Walt, right? <laughs> um uh, but but that but that they had in mind with Davy Crockett, we're gonna do two things with this. We're gonna we're gonna make a TV episode. We're gonna make TV episodes, but we also want to think about putting it in the movies because we also want to promote Frontierland. Right. That it was all over the place, and I think Zorro was. We're making a TV show, and then as an afterthought, you know what? I bet we could string this together as a movie. Well, again, it's crazy uh, popular. Like it is the top show. Right. Everybody watches this. It's family fair. It's adult fair. Like everybody watches Zorro. And part of it is that nostalgia, I think, because people who were adults at that time remember watching Zorro movies when they were young, right? So you've got about a 20 year nostalgia factor. Zorro's back and he's better than ever, right? You know, what I thought of a lot watching this was um, I, I really wish they would make a like sort of modern Zorro like animated mm-hmm. series because I actually think it would still resonate with like a young audience or even Davy Crockett yeah. I feel like you could do like a two for like 15 minutes each or something like that I think it would be Davey. awesome with like an appropriate animation style like uh, for modern sensibilities that'd yeah. be great you know I, I think they tried there was but, a, there but, was a was there was an animated Zorro um uh, I'm gonna say a phrase that people are people who are our age and older hate um, around the turn of the century, um, <laughs> oof, oof. in the late 1900s, um, right. there was a there was a, there was a Zorro cartoon which was probably some in some way, shape, or form. I remember watching it like before school in the morning, and it was tied to it was tied to it probably loosely tied to the 
what is it? The Mask of Zorro, the Antonio Banderas movie, which that's really like, yeah, I knew Zorro as a kid because everyone kind of understands Zorro. Like you would watch, you know, if it was maybe on the Disney channel or would show up on kids now, no kids now don't. And, you know, I watched, I love that Zorro movie with Antonio Banderas when I was younger. Yeah, um, it's it's awesome. awesome. You know, that's kind of like the introduction of Catherine Zeta Jones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, you know, uh, and Anthony Hopkins, you know, so it's really, really great. And, you know, I always like Zorro because I'm rewatching the show, watching the show, I think me personally would have probably had a lot more fun watching this had I watched it as a TV series because I love the episodic nature of it. I love the episode to episode, you know, type stuff. And I, I love that, that the storyline carry kind of carries over uh, from episode to episode. And I, I wish more TV shows did that, especially co- shows that are family friendly and, and, and geared towards kids. Everything with kids is very monster of the week. A lot of the time, because they don't think kids can kind of carry the, carry the, uh, the storyline over to over, which I, I think is is foolish because I think uh, if you've watched, uh, I'm going to just out myself, if you've watched any degree of anime, you know that that's how it kind of right. works. Um, but yeah. like with Zoro, um, I, I found it so compelling and I found him such an interesting character. I've always been a fan of these types of characters, but it is Batman. Like oh, for sure. 100%. The, the, the overlap is crazy. It's wild. Yeah. Like, all right, cool. He's this, he's this, you know, quote unquote, playboy billionaire he's he's got the he's got some sort of connection he's a noble person his father is a noble person he's got a assistant slash butler who helps him out with all his stuff Mm -hmm. he has this alter ego he plays the fool he plays the fool like that's how that's his costume like jordan jordan and i on on batman the animated series and i just want to let everyone know who's listening we are recording this uh, very fortuitously on Batman Day. So Yay! happy Batman happy Day. Batman wow. Day. Batman Day to all who <laughs> Happy Batman Day to all who observe. Um, so to the fact where, you know, he, 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 now his personality, now Zoro's personality is not like Batman's at all, but the overlap between the two characters is, is crazy. Even as, you know, we're going to talk about this more, you know, a little bit later, even when his, his father gets shot. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like his father gets shot like early in the movie. And I'm like, wow, it's clear that like, yeah, you know, Zorro was a little before Batman, uh, you know, a couple, like maybe what, uh, close to like, like me, like 15 years and Batman's 1934. Right. right. Um, uh, I might be wrong. Zorro's I might be wrong. first might in be 1919. Later. So yeah. 1919. So, uh, my, ba- my, my first appearance at Batman might be, I might be mixing up detective comics 34. With 19, That's okay. Or whatever. <laughs> How um, dare you? I know. I'm sorry, guys. I know Spider-Man is 62. That's there's there's even some fine detail stuff that's overlapped. So I mean, we can just the, yeah. the mark of Zorro, the sign of Zorro, that Z yeah. that is drawn is meant to strike fear into the hearts of evildoers in the same way what the bat signal would be. Superstitious. Yeah, hundred percent. Right. Uh, you have that. The guy hangs out right. in a cave. Um, so there's there's that too. Um, at least in this film, I don't know if that's canonical to Zorro in general. He has Tornado, his dark horse. Which um, first of all, there's many awesome artistic depictions of Batman himself on a big black horse. But right. um, the, the Batmobile, right, is what we're all thinking. Like, okay, big fast horse. It's infamous. Oh, you see it. That's Zorro's horse. Um, he has a, a cape. He has a mask. He uses the night to his advantage. I mean. Yes, Batman pretty much owes the whole thing to Zorro. And as uh, Larry so nicely did in the intro, right? You know, it, depending on which version of Batman you're looking at, which comic book story, which movie version, canonically, it seems the Mark of Zorro was what 
Bruce was seeing with his parents. So, you know, Cain uh, and Finger acknowledge that this is the inspiration. Interesting. Right. I, I think I think the main difference with Zorro that I I mean, there are other differences. I, I, well, we can get into them. Main difference is who he's aimed at, whereas Batman tends to partner with with the establishment like he's like he's like look there are places you guys can't go that i can go so i'll be your i'll be your silent partner uh zorro is positioned against the system here Mm. and that and that's the element of robin it's almost like what if batman's worst enemy was uh mayor hill from batman yeah Yeah. uh or i was gonna say lex luther but lex luther is a little more corporate (laughs) but it's that it's that sort of feel what if what if his enemy was the establishment well you you kind of get that in superman red sun where batman is kind of this chaotic um anarchist character where his 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 villain really is the 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 establishment which i guess is superman at that point in time I, i will correct myself batman is 1939 so it's about 20 years after after Zorro. So, you know, if you grew if you were like, I don't know how old Bob Kane was uh, when he was, but clearly influenced by, sure. by Zorro. And, and it's a chain because Zorro is influenced by other things yeah, sure. too, yeah. right? So, so, all right, let's get into the story on this one. And uh, guys, whenever we start talking about a movie, we generally start with what we call the Manish Tana. So the Manish Tanakh comes from uh, the opening of the four sounds, questions. Sounds delicious, by the yeah. way. It's really no, 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 no. It comes from Passover. It comes from the, we ask the four questions and we begin with Manish Tanakh, which means why is this night different from all other nights? And so basically when we're applying it to a movie, we're saying the movie could open in any number of places. It could, it could, it could open with like baby Zorro. It could open, you know, after Zorro's already established, there's there's a number of places where you could choose your entry here. In this particular movie, we begin first with a song about Zorro, uh, which is probably the theme song from the series. Uh, it it so, is, so, and it's also it's written re- by George Bruns, who also did Davy Crockett. So if it sounds Davy Crockett-ish, that's probably why. Davey. Right. <laughs> yeah. Davey no, no, it's, it's definitely... There's, there's a bunch of them from that era that all sort of have that kind of mm-hmm. feel to it. They're I would say great. that, yeah, but I would say your theme song is probably not really your Manish Tana. All it's accomplishing here in this movie is it's letting you know the movie's about to start. Get in your seats, bring your popcorn. popcorn. You're in the right theater if you're here <laughs> to see Zorro. Don't worry. You have it. Hey, kids, Zorro's on. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. So so I would say that the Manish Tana begins after the uh, the opening credits. And I'm going to ask, where does this movie begin? And why does why do we think they chose to begin with with what it begins with? Uh, so I'll I'll throw out to us, I believe. And, you know, every once in a while, I black out like two seconds of the movie. But we're on a ship. Yeah, we're on a boat. Headed somewhere. Yeah. And we see and we see uh, a young man. Uh, you know, fencing with a ship captain. That's Zorro. It's his and, and We, we want to see in. a sword, right? I mean, if you're, yeah. <laughs> I mean that like, you want you want you paid your money to see Zorro make his Z mark with the sword, so we gotta have a sword there somewhere, right? But I think you're right, though. That's a big part of why this Manish Tana is starts here. A lot of these movies we've seen, we're waiting to see the thing we bought our movie ticket right. for. They're gonna delay a. 
we, we talked about this in the Honey movies. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Honey, I Blew Up the Kids, where it is an interminable amount of time until someone gets shrunk or grown, <laughs> and we know it's coming. Yep. Or, or we talked about this with the rescuers down under, where it takes the rescuers 45 minutes to get to Australia to the surprise of right. no one. <laughs> but, but here we are starting two seconds in on action sword fighting. How do we feel about this? Does this work for us or do we think we would do something different? I mean, it does a couple of things in that it establishes Zoro, like I said, with the sword, right? He's aboard a ship with a letter. I mean, they, we, we see him as a swordsman. We know that he is, he's going to be the stranger, not really a stranger that comes to town, but really almost like a hero that comes back. But he's definitely doesn't really know what's going on. Um, he's got to figure that out from the letter of his father. He wants to keep that a secret. So he's going to burn the letter. And we also introduce Bernardo as his trusted sidekick. So there's a lot of exposition that happens in that little, it's about three minutes. It's not very long. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of good establishing stuff. Also, I, you know, I'm, I guess people are walking into this film. Here's here's where I guess the the question I had, even as I was starting to watch this, I was kind of like, because I I really don't have a lot of awareness of like how much Zorro stuff is out there and how much we're supposed to be aware of this before we actually see this. So listen, I turn the movie on. I've got a theme song. I'm like, oh, right. Zorro, of course, the famous character. But then the film starts and he is not yet Zorro. It seems right. There's no implication that he's had past adventures, that this character already exists. So there's this kind of weird split where it's just like, hey, audience, we have a theme song. We're acknowledging we all know this character. He's in the collective subconscious. Uh, But then the film starts and Zorro doesn't exist. And that that did kind of throw me. I'm like, oh, he's just a a handsome young man with a sword. That's interesting. He's uh, it's like Zorro year one. Right. So it's like we're we're, yeah. you know, I'm just going to keep Batmaning all over this. Do thing. it. Do so, it. That's, why you're, here. Yeah, here to why do. that's, here. that's why you hired us. Well, I'm right. sorry. We're not hired. We're guests. It's different. Yes. It's yeah. I'm happy to be here. I love it. Um, it was it was too. either this or Freaky Friday. But oh, but this felt ooh, a little. I mean, listen, real. man, I'm down for a little Freaky back. Friday. Um, yeah. the Lindsay Lohan one or not? Nah. Um, so, so anyway, uh, I, you know, this is very like Zorro year, uh, year one. What I do like too, is that, you know, uh, I like that this show, this movie rather establishes Zorro as, as an outsider, mm-hmm. which, you know, if you follow any of the hero's journey, right. Any of those stories, if you want to, you know, kind of get into, the, that kind of study of of myth and legend and story. If you look at Zorro in this movie, he starts out as someone who's not from, or he's not from California, right? He's he's returning from, I imagine, Spain from studying. He's leaving right. school to come back. There's a there's a Hamletness to that, mm-hmm. you know, where like Hamlet goes away for a few what, Jordan what a few years. Yeah, he's been at college in Wittenberg. <laughs> yeah, right. Yes, yeah. he's returning. So he's returning as this noble to uh, California and he's got this stuff. So, so we're establishing that Zorro isn't from California. He's not a Californian. He's an outsider. He's got this letter from his father and like so many uh, folk heroes, especially, you know, if you want to bring like Campbell study into ever all this stuff, so many folk heroes start out as an outsider, you know, uh, someone who's not from there, Beowulf and, and all that stuff. So that establishes this character kind of as this kind of folk legend hero who, who returns to kind of, you know, set things straight, you know, and that does, that does actually 
kind of now Batman does the same stuff, but it kind that's kind of where he and Batman aren't similar, right? Where because Batman's kind of a product of Gotham, whereas right. Zorro's like. Uh, I'm going to California and I'm going to see what's going on. So he comes in there and shows up. So I, I enjoyed that it starts off that. And I also like that he doesn't want a trace of anything. Like he's going to, he's going to adopt this. Right. And I do like that, you know, they establish Bernardo as like this very capable um, sidekick. And, you know, he, he, he and, he and Bernardo can communicate even though Bernardo is, is, is mute. He can't speak. So I, I actually find that very intriguing too. It just shows you one, uh, Don Diego is is kind of like this um, very caring person, right? Mm-hmm. So he's he's he he communicates and and he 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 communicates with Bernardo, a person that you know he has found a way, like he's put in the work, right, uh, to communicate. But it also means he's a very observant guy. He's very skilled with a sword. So we're getting all of his establishment early, which I really like. Yeah, I think th- I think that's all right. I, I we often talk about how you know your protagonist is your protagonist because they're the one who travels from one world to another, mm-hmm. and so we're getting that sense with with Don Diego here. Uh, I also I also want to throw out about this that very very quickly in this movie we are rooted to a protagonist's perspective, and like we know so we're going to meet everybody in this new world through mm-hmm. him. But also in the audience, we know him better than any of the other characters who are coming in. It's a way of creating a sort of allyship between the audience and the protagonist. We know his secret, and no one else in this world does. You can you and and like we're privileged. Right. Where we 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 it's it's not quite dramatic irony because we're with we're we're in this with the protagonist but i think i think it's a neat it's a neat way of getting us connected to him i think in very short order so we get a lot of exposition and it's done very quickly very short order we're looking for an inciting incident the thing that happens that's going to propel our story generally speaking you know if this event doesn't occur we have no movie. So so what would you folks look to here as this is the moment where our movie is going to launch from? And I think there's a few different places we might identify as the inciting incident, probably all in very close perspective to one another. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's kind of a couple things that happen in succession that I think creates the inciting incident. I don't know if it's like one clearly defined thing for me, but uh, sure. the, the fact that he returns at his father's behest and immediately understands that he needs to kind of step outside of the society. Um, it's it's the arrest of Nacho Torres, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so a man who is, uh, you know, in, in the film's words, right? This is a, a upstanding person, a just person, man of the people. He's respected. This is the great wrong that has been done. That if our protagonist doesn't step in, his his father may step in and do, uh, you know, un, undo himself in the process. Basically, uh, our hero needs to remove this obstacle from his family, um, but also from the society as well. So I, I think it's that. I think Nacho. We meet Taurus like as the as the character who's in peril mm-hmm. first. Uh, and then his peril is connected to the peril of of the whole family of of um, of our hero's family. So I, I guess it's that he, he's that first episode, right? That first third of the film is very much about the rescue of that mm-hmm. character. I I think I would agree with you here. I, but I could see an argument being made for Don Diego gets the letter that things are bad in right. California. Mm-hmm. 
I don't think that's right as an inciting incident because it's a telling inciting incident. In other words, he, I mean, it, it, but generally speaking, the information that comes in the letter feels like exposition to me. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the previously, it's Zorro episode zero. Uh, right. These things happened that have nothing that, that are actually the status quo of the way things are. Right. In California, there is a corrupt administration that is overly taxing the people uh, and enriching themselves. That, right. that, that is the way the world has been working. When, when he gets the, even though he comes there basically with his plan already fully, like, so we could say the decision to become Zorro could be the inciting incident, but that kind of happens before he sees it with his own eyes. And I feel like, so even though he's decided to become Zorro, if he gets to California and he sees like, oh, dad has lost his mind. This is not that bad. This is really minor. I really came up with this big solution about becoming becoming Zorro, but I, I should have verified the details <laughs> first. Um, I threw out those trophies for no reason. <laughs> for no reason. I, They're the why? best of the sea. Why? <laughs> yes. Like, but once he sees the injustice for himself, that makes it real to him and to us in the audience. And I think at that point, he really has to commit to, to up until then he could turn back, right. but once he sees it, he can't. Yeah. So I'm going to agree with you, Jordan. That felt like the inciting incident to me. I would also accept other answers. Not that I'm grading anybody, but does anyone have a different one? No, uh, no, I don't think so. Um, I actually am with Jordan on this one. So I'm, I'm happy to jump on the bandwagon. I, I find it funny too. Cause like this, this thing with Zorro only kind of works in the period of which it came out because, um, if it was today, uh, his his videos would be on YouTube of being a fencing champion or right. on TikTok, and uh, everyone would out him right away. Be like, oh, Don Diego knows how to fight. So yeah. I I do like that we have that air of mystery because it's 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 at a time period where like, hey, you could go to another city and change your name and nobody would know who you are. Like, it would be very hard to track you down. So it's kind of got that old west appeal to it too. Um, Anyway, sorry to take us on that tangent. Uh, I do. I think the the arrest of Nacho Torres is the inciting incident. Agree. Okay. Agree. All right. Then we're all, then we're all there. Also, uh, just real so quick, I'm gonna just go real quick. Through- this oh. story moves quickly, like, and every yeah. scene feeds the next scene, which is something that we've talked about on this show. It's like, okay, now we're going to take time out for this. No, every single moment is feeding the next dramatic moment, and I I love it. It's it's quick. Right. Well, and because it's like sort of action serial, right? right? There is no B plot. Mm-hmm. There's no right. ABC plot. There's no nothing. It's just it's all yeah. the A plot. Yeah. <laughs> In sequence. But all the time. And, uh, Foot's always Agreed. on the gas, which is I I think it's kind of fun. So yeah. Oh, one of the oh yeah no, no it's awesome. It's always like for me. I'm watching. I'm like all right, when Zoro showing up, he's coming back. <laughs> he's gonna come back. Yeah. It's it's what we're here to say. Yeah. So I'm going to move us through rising action, I think, at a fast clip, because this is, as as Andy said, eight or so Zorro episodes put together. So there is a very episodic structure to this movie. We get we get a series of sequences. Nacho Nacho Torres gets arrested. Zorro goes to the rescue. Um, Nacho's family is is arrested to try to bring out Nacho. Uh and, and again, we've got a, a Zorro's father 
tries to get involved in in this situation and and defeat defeat the bad guy save save his friend uh more rescuing occurs but but each time that Zoro needs to do a rescue things are amped up a little bit first it was this one guy then it was this one guy's family and now of course it's Zoro's family specifically not not that the bad guy knows it but the stakes are be- even though Zoro is always able to handle the rescue the tension increases because what's at stake becomes increasingly more important. So that's basically the first half of the movie. In short, there is a subplot in the first half about because uh, Don Diego is pretending to be this scholar wimp, Clark Kent kind of uh, like right. uh, everything. Uh, you know, I'll just take all the abuse in stride kind of character, there is a tension between him and his father that his father is ashamed of him. His father, his father is constantly saying, I wish you'd be Zorro. I wish that wish <laughs> Zorro would be a great son to have. You kind of are pathetic. Which is kind of delicious uh, conflict, right? It's mm-hmm. yeah, it's I mean, because yeah. there you could see this where somebody would make a choice. Well, why doesn't why isn't his father in on his plot, right? But I think adding that layer of yeah. conflict brings you know, a lot more arc to, uh, to Zorro and, 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 you know, I'm, I'm in because he has to, yeah. he has to fight his there, own father to be, to yeah. keep himself secret. There's a moment after his father's been shot where you, you think he's about right, to reveal right, himself. Right. Cause he's like, Oh my God, my father's about to die. I better quickly just be like, Oh, by the way, I'm Zorro. Uh, but it, it doesn't happen. It's actually, you know, in in a in a movie that doesn't really have complicated writing, it's actually a really nice, interesting, complicated moment. Uh, because the easier thing would be to do the reveal. The more complicated thing is to stay hidden, and it actually makes a more interesting scene. It's cool. I also I would, oh, I sorry, Larry. Um, no, 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 you. I also feel that Don Diego is very savvy. He is very bright, and he understands the like. He has his father's passion and emotion, right? He has that, but. He is he is bright to the point where he knows he can't he can't like allow himself to be fueled by that or he'll never be able to do what he does. I honestly think it's like one. Yes, I think there's definitely a point there where he's like, hey, you know, I can't tell anyone this secret, not even my father. And also, if it ties into his father's personality as kind of like this, his father's kind of like this, this like um, he's got this kind of. Uh, I, I'm trying to think of the right word, but he's kind of like uh, he's got bravado, mm-hmm. right? He's got sure. like yes. bravado to him, and he's like a a, a guy who's you know going to stand up for himself and stand up for the people, which you respect. But it can get him into trouble. And if Zorro, you know, if if Don Diego, if he tells his father, it's like what's stopping his dad from telling people? Right. And I think that might be part of it because I think Zorro, like obviously, you know, Don Diego loves his father. He wants to protect his father. Obviously, he goes through that whole thing to like save his life and make sure he's uh, kept. But I think there's also almost a little bit of distrust because his father then would be so proud of him. Right. He'd probably tell people and and he can't have that out or he can't achieve his goal. Because then he'd be a target, this right? For, this, yeah. Yeah. And then this, his dad's a target, me, right. yeah. This for me was the big innovation uh, that I don't think I've, I, when I say innovation, I don't, can't think of a superhero story that does this. Generally speaking, Peter Parker hides his secret identity, not because it makes his life easier. It makes his life 
crazy hard. But because he's got, he's worried that Aunt May, Mary Jane, the people in his life will become a target Mm -hmm. for, for the villains. Mm -hmm. In this one, that's not really Don Diego's concern. It really feels, I mean, it's part of it for sure. He loves his father. He wants his father to be safe. But it really seems to be for me, if I don't become a superhero, my father's going to do something profoundly Mm. stupid and get himself killed. And if my father knows it's me, he'll be even more likely to do that stupid thing because he will be my passionate defender. Mm. So I need to sacrifice my father's love because I love my father. (laughs) There needs to be a Zorro. Yeah. There needs to be a Zorro so that my father doesn't feel compelled to act, but it can't be me or my father will be compelled to act. And I can't think, uh, I mean, maybe there is one, maybe you guys come up with it. I can't think of any superhero that works off that dynamic, but that is great. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's great. amazing. Listen, on our show, the parents are already, dead, right? so, uh, <laughs> listen, all got taken care of, right? Yeah. I mean, oh. I mean, you know. There's, there is no, there, yeah, he doesn't have to, I mean, he, I guess he has to make Gordon happy, Batman, but he just keeps leaving Gordon alone in his office without telling him he's leaving. So yeah, what's yeah, that's terrible. Like he doesn't even leave a card. <laughs> oh, oh, one of my, one of my favorite moments in the comics is, uh, is Dick Grayson has become Batman and he's talking to Gordon and Gordon looks away and he comes back and, and Batman's still there and Gordon goes you you stayed and um and, uh, and like dick Grayson goes oh i messed up i was supposed to leave in that moment oh man don't have uh, a cow man <laughs> uh, yes uh oh. yo i'm like totally not, batman dude they are not dick Grayson fans i'm afraid uh but but that being said that being said uh that's that's the so that bringing us back to plot. That's like the first half of it. Yeah. In the second half, I feel like there is a ratchet up intention because we've seen Zoro handily defeat uh, Captain Monasterio again and again. Mm-hmm. Captain Monasterio finds a better sword fighter to work mm-hmm. for him. Mm-hmm. He finds this he finds this criminal whose name is escaping me at the moment. I want to say it starts with an M, but it's Martinez. Martinez, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. He finds Martinez. He realizes that Martinez is probably the equal of Zorro uh, in terms of sword fighting. Martinez is a criminal, but uh, he's going to make it work. He comes up with a plan to discredit Zorro in a place which I think is an interesting plan, all things considered. He's like, I'm going to make a fake Zorro. He's basically saying Zorro is inspiring the people. That's a problem. But Zoro's weakness, strength is also his weakness. Zoro's strength is that he's anonymous, but his weakness is anyone could pretend to be Zoro. So I'm going to make my own Zoro, and he's going to be a jerk, and he's going to rob the poor. And 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 he may just be able to kill the real Zoro because he's a good sword fighter. Right. Uh, and that feels to me like the second half of this movie where things really ratchet up. Uh, there, are a num- there are a number of altercations between Martinez and Zorro uh, that in, that increase in in stakes to the getting to a point where uh, I and I thought this was an interesting conflict too. Don Diego as himself has to duel Martinez. Mm-hmm. We know that at this point Zorro can beat Martinez in a fight. But not if he's pretending to be Don Diego. Can he beat Martinez in a fight? 
without giving away the fact that hey, Zorro. he is Zoro. So good. <laughs> and I thought that that was a neat like that for a for a TV series that is always going to have Zoro win. And we know Zoro has to win every fight. It's in the contract. Right. Mm-hmm. I thought they came up with interesting ways of creating complications that made us wonder. It's not it's not just about Zoro winning the fight. He might win the fight but lose the war because he blew blew his uh, secret. So identity. I have this thought just now. So there are 78 episodes of this and we're trying to, you know, condense those into a film. I'm wondering if, you know, every episode of Zoro has a cliffhanger at the end, and I'm wondering if those cliffhangers are helping this uh, create this tension, this dramatic tension and raising these stakes every time, because you can just, I, I mean, so. you kind of just cherry pick those and put them together and go, yeah, well, here it is. And, you know, and, and but every, every week as a writer, you've got to complicate things to get your cliffhanger every week. And I'm wondering if those complications yeah. are coming from, I mean, this is totally, you know, just me. I have no idea, but I, I wonder if that we're going to have to watch all and talk about every single Zorro, one of them the and have a Zorro podcast yeah, and question. celebrate Zorro day. I think because yeah, Zorro, <laughs> yeah. Zorro, clearly Zorro that's the call is our next. <laughs> right. There yeah. you go. But, no, um, no, no. This, this fight between uh, Diego, not Zorro Diego and Martinez is, it's probably one of the most interesting moments in the entire sort of frame of this film glued together episodes, whatever we want to say. Um, it actually reminds me there's a there's a Batman the animated series episode called Night of the Ninja. Oh, boy. Where uh, Kyodai, uh, who is uh, a former rival of Bruce's from the time where he was uh, training with um, uh, Yuro Sensei. Uh, this is this is part of young Bruce's training. Right. So Kyodai has come to Gotham City. He's doing some bad stuff. Um, long story, very short, Bruce and Summer Gleason, of all people, get stuck in a storage warehouse and uh, Kyodai attacks Bruce, not not Batman, Bruce himself. And Summer can't know, of course. So Bruce has to come up with a way of fighting this guy, but without revealing the fact that he is Batman. So I, I just thought that was another interesting parallel. Uh, it, both are kind of solved in a similar way where it's just like okay i have to win without looking like i'm winning now of course in our animated series it's a little less complicated i think robin comes in and like wraps summer up in a giant carpet or something like that so <laughs> right you can't, you can't see what's happening but in this one it's neat because it's like oh how can i he actually proves himself to be an even more skilled fighter because he he has to look so buffoonish that he catches the opponent off guard. That's like pretending the sword is stuck in the crevice of the rock and having this really outlandish uh, way of fighting. Also, the captain is a spectator to that fight. So it's it's really it's really interesting. Yeah, I equate it to someone who is a gifted singer having to sing poorly on purpose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is it's hard. very very difficult to do. And you know, having having Don Diego purposely have to make himself look like a fool. Like he is not only a master swordsman, he's not only a great tactician, he's not only a brilliant guy, he's also very aware. And it just shows like his kind of moxie, right? And how how bright he is and how it's not even it's not even intelligence. You know, if we're gonna use D D terms, it's more like wisdom, right? Mm-hmm. He knows right. he needs to like fake it. Wisdom and charisma. Like this guy's got everything. His stat his stats are ridiculous. I, I don't yeah. I don't know how good he is. I want to sh- see those die rolls yeah. openly. Uh, yeah. Rolled well, I want to think though, you know, he's pro- his strength isn't probably great, but like everything else is really good. Well, I think yeah, it might actually be okay. <laughs> I also do all eighteen. I, I do also want to say this uh because I, I'd be upset if I didn't bring it up. 
Um, Captain Monastario goes through about as many tables as Mick Foley did in the late 1990s. <laughs> this guy, yeah, this guy has been hit with so many tables and goes through so many tables. I love it. <laughs> also, I like when they keep moving the ladder yes. on the yes. on the other guy. Yes. Like that's great. That's really great. Like there's a, there's a lot of good there's a lot of good yes. in the fight yeah. also, which isn't which isn't outlet. I mean, I mean, we've seen more outlandish stu- three stooge style fighting. In, in things like this, but it's, it's just, it's just at the border of if they went a little bit farther, this would become a Yeah, cartoon. but it has this kind of uh, vaudeville shtick of the, you know, the yes. ladder moving and the tables. I, yeah. and I think that keeps, I mean, I think that when you think if it were just sword fighting, I don't know that it would appeal to the whole family, you know? How how much can you hear the sound of exactly, blade on blade exactly. over the course of a movie and not start to tune exactly. out a little bit? Like the swords are just hitting each other back and forth, back and forth. Almost no one actually gets punctured right. ever. So so you <laughs> gotta do something guy. else to the one right, guy. The one guy. The one guy. But <laughs> yes. I just I'm I'm with you. Uh so all of this is building up towards what we would call the climax of the of a movie. But since this is a TV series, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna posit that like probably we get a half hour climax here. Mm-hmm. The way that this feels, yeah. Uh, generally, generally speaking, the climax of a movie or any story is the moment of highest tension. It is when the forces of good contend with the forces of evil. Not in every movie, but probably in this movie, it is the moment where if things go wrong, they will go disastrously wrong. Uh, it is the place where possibly our hero might meet his end. We all know that whatever our hero deals with in the first two-thirds of the movie, he will be okay. But at the climax, there's the opportunity that, you know, maybe this movie's gonna have a tragic ending and and things could go badly. Yeah. Uh is there I think because there's like a half hour worth worth of climax, I think there's a bunch of things we might point to as the as like the most climaxy part of this movie. Uh, does anybody have one they want to go with, like the, the high yeah. where the tension felt highest to them? I mean, George, you want to you want to run with this? I'll I'll, th- I'll shoot one out there, but it's it's actually not that clearly defined. So in the last third of the movie, the viceroy arrives, um, who's the the character of the highest status that we get to see in the film. Um, and you know, it's not, it's not necessarily lazy writing. They have to resolve this somehow. So it's not quite like bringing in like Zeus or Apollo at the end of the play. Um, but yeah, so someone of a higher authority than the captain himself actually shows up fine. Uh, for me, the climax is, oh my God, the captain finally has had his glasses on glasses off moment of, wait a second, Diego, you're never there when Zorro is there. Uh, you're probably just pretending to fight poorly. You're you've been making a fool out of me. You're Zorro. Yeah. And now that the Viceroy is here, uh, I'm going to make a huge display of of arresting you. And also, I'm basically taking my whole pueblo right and trying to make it look squeaky clean. So, in this way, the climax is sort of like that the villain has pushed all of his chips into the middle. The only reason why I'm reluctant to say this is the climax is because. It seems there's very little risk for Diego. I don't actually know that anything. I don't really feel like he's all that threatened in this situation. This film culminates, of course, in a sword fight between 
Diego and the captain that feels like a foregone foregone right. conclusion that Diego's going to win. But yeah, I guess there is this threat that's just like Diego has to do something clever to prove that he isn't Zorro, right? And to kind of get out of this situation. So, but it's it's hard to define the exact moment other than the captain's realization of you, you're Zorro, it's you, arrest him. I mean, it does feel like a genie has been let out of its bottle. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the thing that was not supposed to happen, according to Zorro's plan, Zorro was never supposed to be on mass. Mm-hmm. Right. Everything else has been a going. I mean, so he's been reacting. Don Diego has been reacting to stuff because they've been playing this chess match between the two of them. But everything that Don Diego has done is predicated on the fact that he's doing it in, in anonymity and it can never be traced back to him. So so. I feel if we were making this as a movie as a, and as opposed to a TV series, uh, arguably a bigger meal could be made out of this. Uh, the, the Diego's father's property could be seized mm-hmm. in terms of reparation. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, their relationship might be in danger. How could you possibly keep this secret from me? Uh, how could you, how could you give, give me all of this shame for months when really, when really I would have been so proud of you. Uh, there, there's, there's a, a number of things that they could make a bigger meal out of. But again, this wasn't designed as a movie for it. Uh, I might argue, I, I, I'm doing it because someone's got to argue because when we all agree with each other, what fun is that? Although I secretly do agree with you that that's the oh, climax. Well, <laughs> that it's the, it's the, it's the final battles um, between, between uh, Monasterio and Zorro uh, it's it's those fine it's those final moments. Will, will Monasterio uh, get away? Will Zorro apprehend him? Uh, that sort of thing. But there's really no tension in that because Monasterio's gotten his butt kicked by Zorro throughout right. this movie, and he's got no more cards to play. It's basically will he get lucky and do the thing he's been unable to? He's demonstrably been unable to do for the past hour or so and the answer is no he he can't we we know zoro will beat him so i think you're right i think the only way to beat zoro is to unmask him and that's an interesting place for the climax to be yeah in a, in a, in in a movie that is action based mm-hmm. you kind of have this like this perfect kind of coalescing of of actions right you get don diego gets arrested the the captain, uh, Captain Monastario, is, is is you know calling him out for being Zorro. You have the Viceroy coming in, uh, with or without General Grievous, and and uh, every time I hear the word Viceroy, I, I just I just think of because that's the first yeah. time that our whole yeah. generation heard right. that yeah, yeah, word. Yeah, yeah. It's not one we use very. No, often. no, no, no. So you got the Viceroy coming in, and then like it all kind of falls apart too because it's just like the the captain has built this case against Zorro, and he's right. Right, he's right. He's built this case again. That's what. Well, that's what. Yeah, it's like he he <laughs> right. gets it like one hundred percent on the nose, and then the viceroy comes and he's like, he's clearly not Zorro. This guy's a fool. You know, we know him. We know Don Diego, and like the Captain Monasterio is like, oh my gosh, you know him. And then he fights like a like a chump, and Zorro, fake Zorro, is able to, uh, you know, Bernardo is able to save the day. So it's a very quick, you know, kind of you know thing here. 
I wanted. I just wanted to say I, I wanted some romance. The Viceroy's yeah, daughter, yeah. right mm-hmm. there. Yeah. I thought maybe something might happen with the very beautiful uh, flamenco dancing, yeah. dancing, yeah. yeah. yes. dancing flamenco dancing woman, but it, nothing ever comes of that. And then we have the Viceroy's daughter, and I was like, oh, okay. But then I'm looking at the runtime, and I'm like, mm. there's no time. There's no time to develop this. I don't even know. Her I name. really, I did a little, I did a little research on this point. Zorro doesn't get any romantic storylines till season right. two of the Zorro series. It That's was not bad. something they were interested in exploring in season one at all. Which is so wild. And maybe it's because kids anyway, don't yeah, kids don't but care. Kids don't like it when people That's kiss. They I, don't I care. think that was probably the thinking. He should have dropped a, at least one chandelier on someone though. <laughs> right. And rode well, the let's, yeah. let's talk yes. about some characters for a little bit. Um we have obviously Zorro who's Guy Williams. Um he's an Italian actor. We're gonna see him again. Um in the 1960s, in a very popular show called Lost in Space. Yeah, he's the yeah, dad, he's right? the dad in Lost in Space. Um, lots of I didn't recognize it. I'm dead. <laughs> yeah, he's the dad. But again, we have lots danger, of Mexican danger. born and Texas actors in this movie, which I think is. But that again, proves, re- yeah, go ahead. You, it just proves you don't even need a mask to be Zorro. You could put a mustache on, and I won't know. Yeah, Clark Kent works for you, doesn't it, Larry? <laughs> Wait, Clark Kent is Superman? Okay, okay. He's Calm got glasses. Down. Down. <laughs> okay. I didn't okay. realize. Really? No, but I, getting back to my point, we have lots of Mexican-born and Texas actors in the series, which, again, is pretty revolutionary for 1960. Yeah. I think I, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about that for a minute. Yeah, so, so um, what do we think of some of these characters? I mean, I, we're kind of... We've talked a lot about plot and stuff, but are there any, is there any like standout that you think anybody stand out to you? I, we haven't talked, we haven't talked about Sergeant Garcia. Who's amazing, I think. Uh, who is really the comic yeah. relief of this series. Uh, he, uh, he, he is uh, in theory, Captain Monasterio's number two, his sidekick, mm-hmm. uh, the guy who's supposed to do his duty work, dirty work at the same time. At the same time, he's also completely inept. And while he's corrupt enough to work for Captain Monasterio, it looks like he kind of feels bad. Yeah, I mean, his first line is he makes the orders and I only carry them out. So, yeah, Yeah, that which is an argument (laughs) that I imagine in 1960 uh, is not doesn't really read as a great excuse. Uh, But yeah, but. I, I thought it was interesting that the movie chooses to end mm-hmm. on him getting a happy ending. He's going to be the new commandante. Hey. He's going to be the new person in charge. He does not deserve it. And mm-hmm. like, it's just, we like him and we want him to be happy. Although I suspect this is why the, why the Spanish lose control of California <laughs> is that they put Sergeant Garcia in well, charge. Yeah. Like, that's it. That's the oh, moment. Boy. Say what you will about Montesario. He kept it in Spanish hands. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think he kind of wow. reminds me of, um, of Schultz on Hogan's Heroes a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, he, he has this thing where I think, I think by giving it to him, we know that he's not going to like cause he, he may not do a good job, but at least he's not going to cause any harm or put people like the Torres family in, in jail. So he's harmless. Yeah. 
Yeah, Garcia's kind of a, a, a stock character, right? I mean, we, we kind of see this guy in, in lots of different things. I, I, I was kind of reminded of, like, Punk yeah. from... Yeah, yeah. Ooh, perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect. Good one. I was, like, I was like, you are... You just fell in with the wrong person. Had you been with the heroes, you would have just been another hero friend character, but you fell in with Isma right. instead, right? In the same way this guy fell in with Monasterio. I was like, you're a good person, but you have no will of your yes. own. Yeah. I, I think I think that's right. He's, I, I also, oh, so no. Yeah, he's clearly like serving under duress, right? Like, like I, I think, like you know, I don't know about duress, well, but yeah. he's, he's just, he's just loyal to whoever's yeah. gonna be, yeah. you know, he's, yeah, yeah. I also do feel that he kind of, he, he kind of gets the better of the captain uh, a few times too, yes. which I like, especially when he like. He's when he's talking to the viceroy about, you know, how oh he's been he can't sleep and all this stuff. But also there's a couple of times where, you know, where he's like, you know, do you find me attractive? He's like, no, <laughs> it's like, it's like no hesitation. Yeah, no, no hesitation. No. It's like, no, no. Uh, what if I was a woman? Still no. Still no. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which I find hilarious. And at the same time, though, it's, I, I do feel that there's a bit of joy from Sergeant Garcia when uh, when the captain gets gets his right where he gets where he gets arrested and i think that's that's really kind of great i also want to throw out i don't want to spend too much time talking about bernardo but i think for 1958 1960s having a character that can't speak mm-hmm. uh but have, having that character be the closest confidant uh, of zorro constantly being praised for his intelligence and being and being an active partner in this is representation that I can't imagine existed in too many other places on television or in film. I would say not at all. I mean, yeah, I really looked for an opportunity. I really looked to see what kind of representation we had and I couldn't find any. I I really, in that time period, could not. I mean, this groundbreaking in a number of, like I said, that we have, we have different um, ethnicities being represented. We have, I mean, this story is about Spanish-speaking people. And granted, mm-hmm. it's English in theory, theory. right? It's English <laughs> for an English audience. But, I mean, the there's so many Mexican and Spanish actors that are in this. And it's so, I mean, it's lovely. It's lovely to see. And it does not hold up to the standards of modern representation. Correct. Uh, and there are a number of things that are problematic. And I could even go so far as to say in the books, uh, Bernardo is a Native American and he's clearly not in the movies. And and some Native voices are definitely needed uh, for this time period, for sure. this story uh, to, to, to fully be realized. But for 1958 to 1960, it's this, I think this airs on it's the progressive leap. side. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't be progressive today, but it's progressive then. Well, is it time for Game Time with Larry? It is. So in today's game, we we decided... uh, So I think Zorro is a great character. It feels like we're all on the same page that Zorro is a great character. The real problem is, if you ask someone about Zorro characters, the only one I think most people will be able to name is Zorro. I just yeah. watched this movie for the second time yesterday, and I'll tell you that by tomorrow, I won't remember anyone's name but Zorro. 
Uh, I did a little digging to see if there was anything I could find. I found out he had one enemy who was called the Golden God, who dressed all up in gold. But oh my god, I may That's remember. Amazing. I, I want to see that. I may remember that one. But I think what Zorro really needs for the amazing. franchise to get a resurgence is he needs what Batman and Spider Man have a great rogues gallery. Yeah. So uh, prior prior to production here, I tasked everybody to come up with someone to be a Zorro villain. You can take it as seriously or not as you want. Uh, but let's 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 see if we can we can create some Zorro foils, okay. uh, if you will, that uh, that that might help get this franchise back on okay. its feet. Anybody got one? That they want I'll, to do. I'll, I'll start. Mike's, Mike's I'll start. So I, I want a villain who also disguises herself. So I want a young a, a I, woman. I know it's, it's crazy. Um, so perfect. She's okay. So she, I don't have a name for her, but maybe we can come up with that here. I'm happy to, you know, kind of crowd crowdsource this. Sure, uh, sure. She, okay, we're, we're workshop this. She's a young woman disguising herself as an older woman. So as an older woman, she's mysterious, but she's this terrific cook. And she uses this access to the village to be, they're always talking about what a wonderful meal this was. So I thought it would be good to actually have a cook who's creating those meals. But she uses this access to the village to be this fantastic burglar. (laughs) Okay. But she's discovered as a young woman and pursued romantically by Diego de la Vega, who is also trying to solve these rash of burglaries as Zorro. And of course, she's trying to elude Zorro, but has no idea that he's Diego. And there, there it is. I mean, what you're giving Zorro a Catwoman mm-hmm. style yeah, I like character. It. I like it. But that, <laughs> is, that really is kind of Oh my of god! <laughs> I just told you Catwoman. Yeah, but that's perfect. That's what he needs. <laughs> but he does, but he does need that. I mean, maybe, maybe because he's a fox, maybe we go with something like the coyote. Uh, some some sort of like trickster. Oh, there we go. Uh, I like it. Western, woman. Yeah, there Western animal there. I, I, I. No, he he absolutely needs that kind of character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, I like that a lot. That's really cool. And it, you know, is she bad? Is she good? You know, she's. You know, it's it's. She's it's, great. I, like it. I mean, I think. Oh, but whatever yeah, she is, it. she's yes. fun. Yes, whatever she's she fun is, she's fun. yes. Mm-hmm. I like it. All right, Mike, you got one? I do. I do have one. It's going to, you know, I've, I've discussed this with Jordan a little bit because Jordan and I talk about everything. Um, and I'm going to follow uh, a trend that uh, about stuff I like. So I looked at I looked at natural predators to the fox because I think that's an interesting way to do this. I want to keep it somewhat animal themed, right? So I found the eagle. The eagle is a natural predator of the fox, as are owls and things like that. But I wanted to do a daytime animal, a daytime bird, something that's not nocturnal like Zorro is. Uh, I think foxes might also be nocturnal, but I'm not 100% sure. Uh, And I wanted to play into the fact that like, maybe this is not an enemy, but more of an adversary, more of a rival for Zorro. And what is Zorro good at? Zorro is great at sword fighting, right? He shows that he's great at sword fighting. And uh, my particular set of interests um, made me think of, all right, let's 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 have someone who goes up against Zoro as a sword fighter, but not the same type of sword fighter. I don't want this to be, hey, my name is Eagle Man and I wear all white and I come out during the day and fight the same way. 
Right. So I've created a character for Zorro, an adversary or a rival for Zorro, which also taps into what I'm going for is 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 uh, the, is uh, a samurai. Uh, at this point in time, um, there were Japanese immigrants in America, um, in California. They were uh, a lot of like um, a lot of um, a lot of times, you know, like in farming and, and stuff like that. And like they had that industry and and canning and logging. That's what they got invested in. And I wanted to take a Ronin, a samurai who has no master, uh, who is very skilled of the blade searching the world because I love the, 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 the wacky story of like, Hey, I'm the best fighter in my village and I have to go to every other village and beat everyone else's best fighter. It's very street fighter too. Um, but Hey, that's how we go here. So I created a, 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 a Ronin samurai character by the name of Washi, which is a Japanese for Eagle. Ooh. And, um, and I don't want him, I want him to hunt down Zoro in a way that Craven the Hunter hunts down Spider-Man in a way that's like, I need to find the best sword fighter in America. And I've been hearing about the Kitsune, right? Who is uh, Kitsune in Japanese. Oh, Fox. love that. So okay. he only refers to Zoro as, he doesn't call him Zoro. He calls him Kitsune because I wanted to bring in that Raja Ghoul kind of only refers to Batman as detective. So I want him to refer to refer to Zoro as Kitsune and he can kind of just show up out of nowhere and demand that he fights. And like he does not approve of Zoro's methods because his methods are underhanded and and uh, and very, you know, um, not one on one fair. Um, you know, he's not afraid to kind of use subversion and all that stuff. And this samurai character wants to fight this guy one-on-one. So I can feel it as almost as like a thing where like open challenge, almost like a draw that can kind of disrupt Zoro while he's trying to do something I else. I love it. And a character that can keep coming back because I don't think he ever kills him, but I think that right. he beats him. And this takes the, the washi character and makes him say, you know what? I, I need to, I, I need to get better and I need to come back. And uh, nothing, I love the whole like correlation between the Western gunslinger and the samurai, mm-hmm. uh, the Ronin specifically, uh, as seen in, I think it's A Fistful of Dollars mm-hmm. and Yojimbo, which mm-hmm. are shot for shot the same mm-hmm. film. Um, so I'd love to tap into that as well. And I think we can expand this type of thing too. I think there could be some more Western characters in the Zorro thing. For you know, sure. I, I think it all fits really, really well. Uh, kind of like the end of the West, right? In this mm-hmm. kind of like turn of the century, turn of the last century, uh, the previous century type of thing, like in the 1900s. So yeah, that's my guy. I, I had like this, he dresses in all white and he, you know, he's not afraid to, to be out in the public of who he is and kind of like this kind of samurai character for Zorro to sword fight with. Because who doesn't love two different types of swords going fighting fighting together and i think that would be cool to show their the difference in their styles right and he's you know i think it would be cool i don't know that's my idea well, i like the idea I like and it, yeah. i like the idea that you said that like zoro being like possibly beaten that would be interesting yes yeah right? maybe zoro can get best yeah 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 um for mine i think you know some of the best villains are actually um a little similar to the hero um not necessarily coming from an identical background, but maybe uses similar tactics. I wanted someone that was going to threaten Zoro physically. Um, so I kind of went in the opposite direction from Mike. Mike built this awesome character who could challenge Zoro's blade skills. I wanted to create someone who, for whom the blade skills would not matter. So I created a character called um, El Arquero, right? The archer oh, um, nice. who fights Zoro at range. And my idea for this character, and obviously it's not fully fleshed out, is that 
yeah, someone just starts um, killing, you know, shooting with arrows the members of sort of the Spanish colonial nobility in this part of southwestern California. And you're like, who is this person? So, okay, find Zorro to the rescue. And I thought, listen, I don't know how far you want to take it. Are there even arrows in members of you know, Zorro's own family. Mm. Um, and then I was like, do I want to go the route where it's like, okay, this person was just like a hired gun, <laughs> for lack of a better word, or do I want to give this character more heart? And I thought what what's interesting, and it's a story that's not really being told, is um, Los Angeles, prior to being colonized, was the province of the Chumash people. It's a, it's a Native American tribe that was there sort of first and are still there. You can still visit their museums. They have beautiful land. Um and I thought, oh, wouldn't it be interesting if, if either they had hired someone or if this is someone that Zorro has named El Arcaro, but it's actually an archer from like sort of their their tribe of their people. And they're trying to get the colonizers Ooh. out. I thought that would be kind of something interesting, too. Um, but yeah, what, what lured me was this idea that's just like Zorro. He's the most amazing, you know, swordsman in the Southwest. Oh, this is a guy that fights you from, you know, 500 feet away. OK, well, what do I do about that? So. Uh, I thought that was okay. That was I want this series. Oh, I want great. this series, y'all. <laughs> Larry. All right. I went in a very different direction from the rest of you. Uh, I I decided that I was going to create a Silver Age kind of villain who the fans. So Silver Age generally means that these are the times where when people are writing <laughs> comics, they're just creating any kind of story and not considering the genre of the story that they're telling. It's like in a Silver Age story, Spider-Man like gets kidnapped by aliens. Aliens <laughs> should not be a Spider-Man right. thing. It's 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 that sort that sort of character. Uh, so Don Diego, uh, as as Zorro, has been fighting uh, crime for a bit, but he's been noticing something peculiar. He's been branding people uh, with his letter Z, uh, tearing, tearing up their clothes with the Z to let people know he's the one who took them down. But someone has been going on the scene behind him and sewing up the clothes <laughs> to to hide out the Z so that the Z disappears. And so people don't actually know that Zorro's the oh, one God. taking them out. It turns out that there is a mad scientist who decided what he was going to do was clone Zorro and create his own Zorro. Perfect. But the clone came out like, he's like, Zorro is good. I will set him to evil. But he actually made Zorro's opposite in every single way. That's right. This character is Oraz, <laughs> also known as Bizorro. Oh, my Lord. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I, I think I think this is a comic character. Uh, all of the stories about Bizarro are funny. <laughs> I think instead of using a rapier, he's got a sewing needle that, that he tries to use to duel it with. And, and the other thing about, about Bizarro that I am particularly happy about is while, while he, com he completely speaks Spanish most of the time, the only word in English he ever says is the fox. Whenever he sees, whenever he sees Zorro, those are the only English words that he knows. He does not know the word Zorro. Uh, this character will Love be it. hated by the entire fan base, but but I am I I could not get him out of my head, and I didn't want to create you. Else. I so I have this the working Poetry. theory now that you created this game just to share. 
Bizarro with no, us. No, I, in, in fact, I was actually mad at myself that I came up like I was like, I really want to really impress people. And and all I could think of once once the word bizarro came into my head, I was done. My brain will no. not come up I with another thing. I think you're lying. I'm with, I'm with Andy. We're only even recording the sign of Zorro today to get to bizarro. I'm with Andy. I, I feel my track record speaks for itself. Oh, my gosh. This has been so fun. Mike, Jordan, thank you so very much for being here. I love that you love yeah, Larry love as much here. as thank I you. do. And so it's a, it's a joy to be with him every week. And I'm glad that he um, brought us all together. And I really do want to plug the Batman-tastic cast. If you watch the Batman animated series... Uh, and you miss it. It's a it's a great podcast to listen to. And if you've never seen the Batman Batman the animated series, what is wrong with you? Uh, <laughs> yeah, watch, watch it, watch it, and then listen. You you have the you have the ability to watch it listen, and then immediately that's hear what a I'm doing. On that's, it. that's my fall. Good, 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 <laughs> yeah, good, good. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Got another one. Oh, five. Nice. I love awesome, it. Larry. What movie are we hoping to do next week? Oh, well, <laughs> hoping is strong, Andy, because I'm going to need you to okay. be brave. Okay. I, Can you do course. that for me? I will hold your hand through this All whole right. movie. But there is arguably no movie I've wanted to do for this podcast more than this one. I saw this movie prior to us to us watching uh-huh. things together. And I said, I need to be able to unpack I'm this scared. with somebody. I went on Facebook. I, I couldn't find anybody. What are going to do to me? We are doing. Okay. No, 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 no. Straight from 1998, direct to DVD, Pocahontas 2, oh. Journey to a New World. Oh, boy. Oh, oh man. <laughs> no, no, no. This is the reaction everybody has. But here is here is the amazing part. Pocahontas 2, A New World, has a better story than Pocahontas 1 and does things with the story that the first one should have okay. done. All I right. promise you, if I promise you... This is not be- me being cruel like when I make us watch Disney Channel original movies. This is this is going to be a good right. conversation. Just I'm looking forward. Okay, I will I will I will walk I will walk the plank. I'll do it. Well, <laughs> if you like what you're hearing, will you do us a favor and share this podcast with another Disney or classic movie fan? And please check out our Once Upon a Disney Facebook page or drop us a line in our mailbag at once upon a Disney Podcast at gmail.com. So until next time, friends, see you real soon. See you real, real soon. Ha ha.